Welcome to The Debrief, friends. Today we're talking about what's latest with Pope Francis this Holy Week now that he's back from the hospital. We're going to ask Mike about, uh, is Pope Francis destroying contemplative life? Was the Church's agreement with China a mistake? And traditionalists, will there be a new document to further restrict the Old Latin Mass, as was rumored on April 3rd? Mike, welcome back to The Debrief. Good to have you with us. Well, thank you for having me. The Debrief is a weekly show, friends, where we're going to dive into the news, topics, questions, and controversies facing the Catholic Church today. I'm Dominic DeSouza, the founder of Smart Catholics. And I'm Mike Lewis, the editor and co-founder of Where Peter Is. Each week, this show brings you commentary, analysis, and context on tough questions that the Church is facing. Whether you're a devout Catholic, a curious seeker, or if you're just interested in the news and happenings of the Church, we invite you to The Debrief. Okay, let's talk about what's the latest with Pope Francis. He was rushed to the hospital. What was going on with that? So uh, last, uh, I think, I want to say it was Wednesday after his Wednesday audience, uh, there were reports that the Pope had was feeling chest pains and w- was rushed to the uh, to the hospital in an ambulance. That was according to, to Italian uh, news sources. The official Vatican line at first was that he was going to the hospital for scheduled tests. Um, obviously it sounded a little bit more, uh, urgent than that urgent, yeah. or more serious, but, um, he stayed in the hospital for a couple of days. They said he had a bronchial infection. Now, obviously he had, um, when, for those of you who don't know, when he was, when he was a young adult, he actually had a very serious lung infection and had to have part of his lung removed. So I don't know if it's related, uh, you know, if his, if his current situation is related to his, his earlier problems, but, uh, needless to say, Friday night, he was eating pizza with the hospital employees. Um, Saturday morning, he went around, he was visiting, uh, the sick. There was a very powerful video of him consoling a mother and father whose five-year-old son had just passed away. Mm -hmm. Um, he baptized a baby, um, you know, he seemed to be standing pretty well. Obviously, he's business been, as usual. He's been using his wheelchair more often, but by by Palm Sunday, he was you know he was back overseeing that mass. He he delivered the homily, so mm-hmm. you know he's eighty six years old. Uh, obviously, someone's health can take a, a very dramatic turn, and you know I'm I'm forty I'm half his age, I'm forty three, and I I had a near death experience a month ago. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, an allergic reaction to something and we don't even know what caused it. So rumors that he's, that he's violently, or, you know, that he's dire, that he, that he has some dire illness are probably overplayed, but mm-hmm. you always have to be concerned when someone his age suffers some kind of, uh, infection yeah. or some kind of. And now that we're 10 years into his papacy, his two predecessors have two different, um, kind of models. I mean, he's expressed papacy for life uh, if he's able to stand up to it. But with the, uh, the passing of John Paul II and then the retiring of Benedict XVI, do you have a sense of how he might handle handle that if his health condition continues to you know, to worsen? Well, he recently he's actually uh, reinforced very strongly that he believes the papacy is for life. I don't know if it's uh, because he's reflected on the aftermath of, of Benedict's death, and a lot of people have been using that. Um, there were a lot of attacks on him in the first couple of months after, you know, 
in January and February after after Benedict passed away. So I don't know if he's reflected on it more or if he just wants to dispel rumors that he's planning on retiring anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been very uh, forthright a little about his about his illnesses. I know when John Paul got sick, it took them a few years, even though his hand, you know, his hands were obviously shaky uh, for the Vatican to actually admit he had Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. Um, in the case of uh, Pope Francis, uh, he was pretty stubborn for a while and not using a wheelchair. Like, for example, I was I was in Vatican City uh, in Rome last Palm Sunday, and I actually went to the Palm Sunday Mass, and he was limping very, very badly. And it was shortly thereafter that he began uh, mm-hmm. relying on the wheelchair more often. But he was, he was limping around. I saw him a couple of times uh, during my trip there. Uh, I think he has a very matter-of-fact sense of of the aging and dying process. He even mm-hmm. gave a, a catechesis of Wednesday audiences on the elderly. Uh, he's talked about the loneliness of the old uh, being one of the greatest social ills in our society. He's talked about, you know, he, he's visited nursing homes. He's um, really talked about how we can't just shove grandma away in a closet like we need Mm -hmm. uh the relationships between the old and the young we need to have uh we need to value people at all stages of life whether they're unborn from the you know womb to tomb so Mm -hmm. i i mean my perspective is that he will probably be fairly open about his his health problems as john paul ii was Mm -hmm. um but if he reaches a point where, uh, you know, intellectually or physically, he's just not able to mm-hmm. perform the role, I, I still wouldn't rule out a resignation. But that's just my sense. Good deal. All right, let's move on to our next talking point. Is he destroying contemplative life? Where Peter has recently put out a post about nuns speaking for themselves. What's going on there? So this uh, goes back to um, the document's core orons. And um, let me see if I can get the name right. Uh, Voltaire de Querere, I believe it's called. And I didn't have it pulled up. Basically, Vatican II. And we have, a, we have an article uh, on this. Um, Vatican II called for reorganization of um, different religious groups. And... Basically, what happened was in 2016 and 2018, the Vatican finally put out documents for uh, contemplative nuns, cloistered nuns, contemplative women religious. Um, And there were some revisions within it about uh, formation time, um, the chain of command. Do we have to ask the bishop to do this? Some things were reassigned to the mother superior. Uh, certain issues. One that I believe was brought up was the amount of time that a that a cloistered nun can request to be away from the monastery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they gave the example of um, one nun who her her mom was ill, her dad had passed away. Uh, basically, she helped take care of her mother in the last few weeks of her life, and then had to arrange her estate, had to get her house sold. Um, that sort of thing. Um, and because a lot of times nowadays people join monasteries, 
you know, miles and miles away from where they live, um, where they grew up, as opposed to, you know, a century ago, people would just go to the local Carmelite monastery. Um, Mm -hmm. Now it's, let me look at the one in California. Let me look at the one in Rochester. Let me look at the one in, uh, in New Jersey. And and then they would decide, discern into one of them. Um, Mm -hmm. And if there was a family emergency and time, you know, people need to go back. Uh, Another thing is uh, handling of social media, handling of internet. Um, These kinds of things weren't in the last document that was published back in 1950. Um, Another issue that came up was requiring monasteries and particular religious orders to uh, join associations. Mm -hmm. Um, So basically it would be a group of 10 Carmelite monasteries or 10 Benedictine monasteries or uh, 15 passionist uh, monasteries would basically uh, they would share resources in, tor- in terms of formation, um, learning from each other, education, basically building stronger ties. Now, unfortunately, what's happened in, you know, in the United States, and now there are rumors of this, this kind of thing going on in Italy and in France, uh, a lot of the nuns are very resistant to these teachings um, okay. or to these changes, and they want everything to remain the same. And there has been a media campaign that's gone through a lot of the traditionalist websites like the Remnant, LifeSite News, um, Crisis Magazine, basically saying that Pope Francis has declared war on contemplative nuns. Mm-hmm. Being contemplative nuns, it's not like the nuns who disagree are really out there in the world defending themselves. Um, where Peter is, we, we, it's interesting. We got an unsolicited email from sister Gabriella and, um, who's a Carmelite cloistered Carmelite nun who lives in Flemington, New Jersey in a Carmel there. And her association was embroiled in this controversy where there were these, uh, where there was a congregation of traditionalist Carmelites Mm -hmm. who didn't want to follow, uh, Anyway, to make a long story short, uh, she has been writing for us for Where Peter Is, and mm-hmm. she just she just launched her own website now, um, seekingthefaceofgod.org, by Sister Gabriella of the Incarnation. So that's one of the two things that we announced. And then there's also cloisteredlife.com, which uh, is, for, it's Voltum de Querere, by the way, I found the article. Mm-hmm. Um, Cloisterlife.com is for the is from the Institutes of Religious Life, and they are putting forth articles written by and for cloistered nuns about their lives, about themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good way to help remind us that cloistered nuns are still there. You know, they live these hidden lives. They pray for you and me. Mm-hmm. Um, they pray for the church. They, you know, their prayers. the The benefits of their prayers are incalculable. Um, but it's just a, it's just another avenue for you know especially utilizing modern technology responding mm-hmm. to these new directives let's let's talk about religious life let's talk about the spiritual uh reflections that we've been doing let's talk about vocations and what the life of a nun is so i so these are yeah um, more importantly it's giving them uh the voice to to be able to speak on their own terms as opposed to having influencers or news outlets um speak on their behalf or as we've seen a lot of times hijack 
the the conversation. So that's that's very exciting. Um, yeah. Speaking of hijacking conversations, we've had a, a lot of news outlets and, and discussion on what's happening with the church uh, in relation to China, and. Um, we wanted to talk a little bit about the Bishop of Shanghai and whether the church's agreement with China was a mistake. Can you bring us up to speed with what's happening there? Yeah, I mean, basically, um, the Vatican has announced, well, first, the Chinese church announced that a new bishop, uh, Monsignor Shen, was installed by um, the Chinese bishops as the Bishop of Shanghai. Now, this see has been uh, vacant for about 10 years. I believe their their previous bishop um, actually renounced his association in the Chinese Patriotic Association as soon as he, uh, I believe during uh, his first mass as bishop or at the end of his installation mass, mm -hmm. um, which was a, a bold move. And so then he was placed, he was arrested and then he's been virtually under house arrest in a seminary. Um, oh, wow. So... The um, the Vatican and and the Chinese Church or the Chinese you know this Chinese Patriotic Association they they worked out this deal in 2018. Um, nobody and this and this is the thing nobody looks at China as a trustworthy partner to make an agreement. Um, what the deal sought to do was to unify the Church of China to regularize the bishops that weren't recognized by the state, you know, to basically make them legal, the, you know, the unregistered or so-called underground churches. And it was also to bring those that were associated with the patriotic association back into full communion with the church. There have been some successes. The Vatican has always described it as a modest step. Um, Recently, uh, prior to this, a few months ago, uh, the Chinese bishops transferred a bishop from one diocese. You know, he was a, he was a legal bishop, a Rome recognized bishop, but they transferred him to a new diocese uh, without Rome's express permission. It was it was a challenge to the Vatican, and this seems like a a big an even bigger challenge. It's actual straightforward defiance. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that's not to say that the deal wasn't the only option that they had. Um, I don't know what, you know, what the alternative is. It's not like they had any leverage in the negotiation. It, you know, um, they cautiously accepted the deal and they expressed that it was a step in the right direction. But obviously, there's certainly a long way to go. And if China isn't going to honor the deal, um, you know, it's not worth what you know the paper that it's written on mm -hmm. uh in terms of a brief orientation i mean this is a very complex and long-running issue where the the government of a country is actively involved with with the church and and how you know and rome is trying to negotiate that to avoid further complications with catholics on the ground in a very immediate way that we don't experience in the first world west or america uh is there a quick sense or that a thumbnail overview you can give us about yeah, the and, difficulty with these negotiations. And it's, well, the negotiations, I mean, it, you know, it goes back to the, to the 1940s and the 1950s. Uh, obviously China is an atheistic government. Um, and during the cultural revolution from 1966 to 1976, um, all religious people were persecuted. All Christians were persecuted, whether you were part of 
the underground church or the official church. Um, but the basic the, the basic idea is that it's it's not necessarily a monolith. Mm-hmm. Um, there are different stages of underground from from house churches to and villages where you know Catholics are are imprisoned or, or regularly persecuted to places where you know there are towns where everybody has five kids and you know it's a Catholic town and and nothing's enforced. Unfortunately, the current regime in China uh, mm-hmm. is very anti-religion across the board. Um, you hear these stories about, uh, you know, churches being bulldozed. And um, and these are actually, a lot of them are Protestant churches. Um, China allows five different religions, but they have to subscribe to the official state religion. They have their own form of uh, Catholicism, Protestantism, Islam, and that's the whole the whole Uyghur controversy is that the Uyghurs aren't part of that the patriotic Muslim association or or whatever it's called. They have um, and then they have uh, Taoist and um, Buddhist, um, and the Roman Catholic Church, the church in allegiance with Rome, was not in full communion with the Chinese Church before. This sort of gave this mutual. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the bishops themselves had been recognized by Rome prior to the agreement. This just solidified it, or we thought finalized it. But obviously, we've got a long way to go. And if we look at the way that China has been treating religion over the last few years, it's uh, you know things may get worse before they get better. Unfortunately, but okay. it's a complicated situation. Um, the deal, you know, they would have made this appointment had the deal not been there. The fact that they're breaking the deal makes it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's it's a situation that we need to pray for. Obviously, full religious freedom, mm-hmm. as the church teaches, would be the ideal in China. Um, and it's going to take a long, a lot to get us there. Talking about religious freedom and uh, communion with the, the church, there were rumors that on April 3rd, a new document would further restrict the old Latin mass, causing uh, additional concerns uh, among uh, followers and adherents to the old Latin mass. What is, what's the deal going on with there? What is this document? Uh, did it come out on April 3rd or has that been bumped down? No, nothing came out on April 3rd. Um, I don't know if the doc, I mean, there, the rumors are so strong that it seems like there would be something that is going to come out. I don't know what format it's going to be in. People thought April third would be the date of release because it, it was the it would have been the anniversary of Missale Romanum, which was uh, the apostolic letter from Paul the Sixth implementing the new the new missal. Um, it seems to me that that there still needs to be a document about. Um, the uh, priestly associations like the Fraternity of St. Peter, um, the Institute of Christ the King, these uh, groups that are uh, tied to the traditional Latin Mass. Obviously, the Pope has expressed his agreement or his his intention that we all return to one common form of the Roman Rite. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my guess is that this document would would probably... um, start moving those associations in that direction. But what form that would take, I don't know. Obviously, one of the symbols is the chrism mass, 
which is, you know, held during Holy Week, traditionally on Holy Thursday, where the bishop and all of the priests of his diocese get together and can celebrate a mass where they bless the sacred oils that will be used throughout the year for different mm-hmm. um, for different re- religious rites. Um, there have been some issues where priests of these societies have refused to can celebrate with the local bishop, with, with their brother priests. Um, can celebration was something that was brought back shortly after Vatican II. Mm-hmm. Um, even um, before the new mass was promulgated. I mean, Archbishop Lefebvre actually, there's documentation of him can celebrating masses um, in the old rite, but in the vernacular, I think, um, mm-hmm. before the new mass came. So um, I think maybe making that a requirement, it might even go go further to say that they, they might have to say the Novus Ordo in Latin once a month or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think the idea is that the experiment of allowing wider use of the old right, which was not Paul the intention at all, he was he mm-hmm. foresaw it phasing out. Um, I think that the experiment has led to radicalism and widespread rejection of Vatican II. And so that was going to be my follow-up question. Yeah. Why can't these rights coexist the same way that there are multiple uh, other beautifully enriching rights all around the world, you know, from different periods of, ch- of church's history? Uh, why can't these coexist? Well, I, you know, there are a couple of theological reasons why that would be inadvisable. Um, one of which is, despite what traditionalists will tell you from the church's official position, the current Roman rite, you know, the Novus Ordo is the current version of the Roman Missal. Mm-hmm. Um, you can hear my daughter singing in the background. It's a family show. It is. Um, and so, whereas a traditionalist will tell you that this is a whole new rite and that the real Roman rite is the 19, ended at the 1962 Missal. Mm-hmm. Well, it, you know, that's not what the church says the current right reflects all of the theological changes that have taken place in the 400 years since the Council of Trent, since the, you know, since Pius V uh, put forth the, the, his version of the Roman Missal in 1570. Um, and I mean, the other reason is if it was just a pastoral accommodation and people were just content to be able to attend the form that they like, um, that would be one thing, but as wherever we look in, in the traditionalist space, we see this rebellion against the Pope. We see this criticism of Vatican II. We see this ridiculing of people who attend the normative rite of the mass as not mm-hmm. being as Catholic or not being real Catholics. And this is a, this is, you know, these are the, the building blocks of dissent right there, or the first cracks. Um, yeah of, of schism. And, um, I think the Holy father is wise to, to just, let's just cut our losses. Let's, let's try to move forward together and set us back on that path that Paul the sixth laid out. Beautiful. Well, Mike, Hey, thank you for the debrief this week. And speaking of schism next week, we plan on, uh, the hot topic in many Catholic circles, which is questions about the German synodal way. So stay tuned for next week. We plan on chatting about that one. Uh, Available links from today's conversation are available in the description. 
Again, this conversation is brought to you by smartcatholics.com, the free online community for millennials, creators, and learners. Join our free uh, and private Where Peter Is group to ask questions, share insights, and suggest your topics for our next episode. Yes, and visit wherepeteris.com to read articles, commentaries, and spiritual reflections by and for faithful Catholics who support the mission and vision of Pope Francis. Share this episode, friends, with your family or friends or followers. Hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, so that you don't miss another episode of The Debrief. And if you're interested in supporting us even more, consider becoming a Patreon sponsor for Where Peter Is. Your generosity will help us continue to bring valuable content to you and to enhance the quality of the show. Thanks again for joining us. When it comes to news and controversies in the Catholic Church, stay curious, informed, and engaged. God bless you.